Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Mike, uh, one of the pastors here. And if you're online, welcome. Uh, glad you could be with us this morning. Have you ever um, been uh, what seemed to be the right place at the right time. Ever had an instance like that? Maybe you're in the grocery store and you just happen to strike up a conversation with somebody and you have a few laughs and that person says, you really made my day. You were just the right person at the right time with that. Or maybe it's in your neighborhood and you just happen to see someone and and you don't usually connect with them and you go connect with them and you talk with them and they they put their hand on your shoulder and say, wow, I just, I was really feeling lonely today and you really made a difference in my life. Right? Ever happened to you being in the right place at the right time? Or maybe it's, maybe it's you. Maybe uh, you're just feeling discouraged and you're struggling with some issues. And just out of the blue, uh, one of your good friends calls you and you guys have a great conversation. And, and it just, it was just at the right time and you needed that. Uh, they seem like coincidences, yet it can't be just random. And if you're a follower of Jesus or spiritual and most of you are, because that's why you're here, uh, you get the feeling that these are not just by chance, that they are orchestrated by a sovereign God who strategically creates incidences and circumstances. The Bible says it very clearly uh, in Psalm 115, verse 5, our God is in heaven, and he does all that he pleases. He can orchestrate and strategize and, and move people. Uh, yeah, Proverbs 16, 9 says the heart of a man uh, plans is, the, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Colossians 1, 17. And he, that's Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together because he is strategically moving all things. And, and being that God is not bound by time or the laws of nature. He can do anything he wants, and he does. God does that. He, he is sovereign. He's working his will in his way through life. Now, yes, we have a free will, but God does orchestrate. And as we seek to live out God's desire to love our neighbors, we've been talking about this in our series, A Beautiful Church in the Neighborhood, how God calls us to love our neighbors. Leviticus 19.18, Matthew 22, verse 39, James 2.8, and Galatians 5.14 all say that we are to love our neighbors. And the reality is God has strategically placed each of us where we are, in our families, in our homes, in our work, in our school, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our city, in our state, in our, in our country, to reach out and love our neighbors, to reach out and to love like Jesus, where our location is part of God's strategy for us and for our neighbors. Now, there's a story that comes out of Sri Lanka. I was there a number of years ago. Uh, but this story happened uh, during the devastating tsunami in 2004. A discouraged Swedish woman uh, was on holiday in, in Sri Lanka trying to figure out life. They have some beautiful resorts there. And, and she was wrestling with where she was in life. Uh, she was not yet in an established career, in any kind of relationship where she could start a family, feeling a bit bewildered and 
with the direction of her life, she went out to take a walk along the beach. And when she noticed the the tide rapidly going out, she instantly knew what was happening and ran up and down the beach, uh, warning people and, and encouraging them to head to higher ground. You see, she had been working as a journalist in Hawaii doing projects about the impacts of tsunamis. So she ran up and down that beach. A tsunami's coming. A tsunami's coming. You see, she just happened to be on the beach that day and saved hundreds of lives. And there's more. After two waves subsided, people were in shock and and many badly injured. They assembled, assembled safely on a hill where the same Swedish woman tended to their many injuries. It turned out that she had completed a two years of medical degree uh, just a few years earlier. And though she was not qualified, not a qualified doctor, she knew enough through her training to save even more lives. Many people named her Angel on the Hill. See, God strategically orchestrates For our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. And in these locations that God has placed us in, we are to be strategic. The Apostle Paul is an example. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 29, he gives us two keys to love our neighbors and be this beautiful church in our neighborhood. And so this morning, I'd like for us to explore uh, this very interesting and strategic Bible story and, and really answer the question why you are where you are. Home, work, school, neighborhood, different clubs, different things involved with. There's a reason why God has you there. We're going to explore that this morning. Before we do, if you'd mind setting aside your Bibles and your uh, notes there, and, and let's stand up. Let's ask God to challenge us this morning. Father God, uh, we come before you this morning realizing that you are sovereign. You do strategically orchestrate. And though sometimes we don't realize it, we are exactly where we need to be for your purposes. And Father, I pray this morning that we would get a renewed sense of that. Lord, maybe even be challenged to step into that as we think about our life and we think about being this beautiful church in the neighborhood, this beautiful uh, neighbors in our neighborhood. So challenge us, encourage us. Help us as we dig into your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat, and I believe Victor talked to you about the worship folder that's there and all that's inside of it, that card uh, he asked you to fill out. Uh, Now, the offering's already been taken, so just leave it on your chair. If it's confidential, fold it in half and and a prayer request, and then our ushers will come pick them up after the service, so you can just do that. But do give us a prayer request. We love to hear from you. We pray for you fervently all throughout the week, and many prayer requests go out even all over the world. Again, if it's confidential, that means it just goes to our staff and our, and our elders, uh, but uh, we do love that. Take out the outline that's inside there, your worship folder. If you're at the app, you can just open up to that, and uh, there's some blanks to fill in. Uh, the answers will be up on the screen, or if you're on the app, you just click the ba- uh, box, and it will fill in for you. There's also places to take notes uh, online, so feel free to do that, but I encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to pick up a study guide um, at the end of the service. It's a little more in-depth. Some of the things I'll share are inside the study guide, and you want to look at that as you kind of understand the passage a little bit. 
But do take your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, our amazing ushers are going to walk down the aisle. They've got a, a Bibles in their hands. Just wave at them. They'd be happy to give you a loaner. And when you're done, again, just leave it there in your seat along with your connection card. And we'll walk through this. Acts chapter 17. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, was not always a passionate, influential follower of Jesus. He was a Pharisee. He had studied the, the first five books. Actually, he had memorized the first five books of the Bible. He knew them in and out. He was a, a passion towards God and, and God's law. But the Pharisees had kind of taken a little bit of turn. They had been more concerned about the duties of the law instead of really understanding God. And there's a lot to that, but, but, but Paul was obsessed in his zeal for God to stamp out Christians. He'd pull them out of the, 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 their homes and beat them and, and was involved with people being stoned to death, you know, rocks and execution style. And until he met Jesus on that amazing road to Damascus, you can find that in Acts chapter 9, Jesus uh, appeals to him, uh, uh, comes to him and visits him, and Paul is convicted of his ways, and Paul converts to following Jesus. And Paul then begins to share uh, the love of Jesus, and it was powerful. Now, he did hold off for a year or so, maybe even more. We're not sure exactly how long, but Paul was powerful in his testimony, speaking to Jews because he knows the Jewish culture really well. Paul, because of his God-orchestrated education and abilities and, uh, and citizenship, uh, being a Roman citizen, was able to have incredible influence, just like each of us. God has orchestrated a path in your life you don't know him yet, he's orchestrated the fact that you would be here to hear about him so that you would soon come to faith in him. But those of you who know him, he's been orchestrating your life all along, even before you knew him, to bring you through experiences and understandings and education and all of that to prime and ready you for all the tasks he has for you, specifically where you live, where you work, all these locations that God has placed you in, because our location is part of God's strategy for us and for our neighbors. Well, in Acts, after Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, Paul begins to tell people about Jesus, and it's a bit rough due to his reputation for killing Christians. Uh, you know, he had some struggles. Even the uh, disciples didn't really know what to do with him. Barnabas really helped him out there. But, but in Acts chapter 13, Paul heads out to share now with Jesus' love with non-Jews. He was in and out of jail, uh, people, but people were coming to faith, even jailers. And then God directed Paul to Athens, this center of philosophical thought and, and spirituality with multiple gods. And so take you, let me just read a little bit of history here, or a little bit of setting up to our passage in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace and every day with those who happened to be there. 
Some of the Epicureans, and I'll define that in a moment, and the Stoic philosophers, I'll give you more of that later, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this, this, this babbler wish to say? Others say he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. I'll explain that in a minute too, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears and we wish we knew, therefore, what these tidings mean. Now all Athenians and foreigners who live there spent their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Tells you a little about Athens in that time. Well, in verse 16, it says Paul was, you know, he was moved in his heart. He, his spirit provoked him. He was upset. He was upset at the idolatry, jealous for God, and, and was seeing the mess it creates in people's lives when they head off down that idle road. And Paul knew life, real life, was found in Jesus. And that people can find hope in Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul knew that. He was impassioned with that, this new passion he had for Jesus. And he met up with some Epicureans. They were more scientific minds, indifferent to gods or religion or faith, and saw the point of life was to seek pleasure. And avoid pain because that's all we have. You know some Epicureans. They may not be called that, but you know them. The Stoics believed in many gods. Life's aim was, to, was found through reasoning and understanding the deities and the truths within them. Kind of like an all roads lead to heaven ideology. You know some Stoics. And the Areopagus is both a court and a place on a hill. Ares is the Greek god of war. The Roman equivalent is the god of Mars. Thus, this is called, and some of your Bibles even say it, the Mars Hill Discourse. Paul was called into this court to explain his new teaching of Jesus. See, Paul had read God's word, that God's revelation of himself, and experienced now a personal relationship with Jesus, and and made the choice to put his faith in the one true God. And he was compelled to reach out because he knew Jesus' teaching and the Bible's teaching to love our neighbors. So now Paul shows us two keys in in loving our neighbors and being this beautiful church in the neighborhood. The first key is to speak wisely. Look now at our text here, uh, verse 22 to 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul spoke wisely. In his zeal, he could have expected uh, people to believe uh, his way, 
to have their own Damascus Road experience where he was convicted of his heart and challenged and thrown on the floor and blinded by Jesus. But no, Paul did not expect all people to come to faith exactly as he did. So Paul sought to build bridges and and not put up barriers, not judging people, but challenging their thinking. Paul affirms with respect and reverence for even, uh, even for what they, they didn't even know, this idol of the unknown God. And Paul says, I would like to help you know this unknown. You can almost picture the people leaning in. See, we, we need to think about how we share. Because it's not so much about us getting it out, it's so much about them understanding. Paul could have lambasted them with all kinds of, of conviction and, and, and his own experience and what they should experience. Instead, he understood where they were and sought to bring them a little closer to Jesus using wisdom and speech, asking questions and building curiosity. See, as Paul had embraced the truth of God and his Lord, Paul took on the belief that humanity is not a us-them reality. But there are common grounds that we can find. And rather than throwing up his arms and saying that you're all going to hell, you're all following false gods, which is true. But he contextualizes the message without compromise. How would you feel if somebody you know or even didn't know all of a sudden came up to you and started getting in your face and judging you and telling you you're wrong all the way you've been thinking is wrong all of your life, you would naturally rebel. But when somebody comes along with curiosity and asks you questions and sits alongside and helps you reason, you're more open. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict, not ours. And Jesus is the only one worthy or capable to judge not us. Our job is to humbly and wisely share. Remember this verse we talked about last week? 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Paul's being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And sometimes we stop there and we forget the last line of this verse. Read it out loud with me. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Boy, sometimes we look down our spiritual nose at people and think that, wow, we got Jesus. Yeah, we're better than you. We're going to heaven. You're not. (laughs) And we get all into our own specialness and realize that, hey, we're all people. And the truth of the reality of things is God has placed you and me in the places we are So that when those people reach out for God, we're there to share the message of Jesus. With what? Gentleness and... Gentleness and... Yeah. Boy, let that move into your heart and mind. Unfortunately, us Christians have a really bad reputation to do just exactly the opposite of gentleness and respect. How we speak and what we say matters. 
And speaking without the wisdom of love, we become a bunch of noise. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Look at how Paul speaks. He's polite. He's affirming. He shows interest in their beliefs, respect, and he seeks to find common ground. And that wise approach piques interest. It means for us to consider our words. Write down somewhere on your notes, James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and Ephesians 4.29. Both of those verses, and that one verse in that, that, that passage, speak and challenges us to be careful, and our words matter. So speak wisely, and do the hard work of not staying silent, but the hard work of being careful with our words. Man, do we have a problem with words today. I mean, the hate speech and the name-calling, it, it just shouldn't even appear. You know, Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The word unwholesome means tearing down. Let nothing like that come out of your mouth. That means no name-calling. That means uh, no careless word, no, no uh, 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 not thought about, prayed about, thinking about word when you're in, especially in the public factor. So be careful with your words. That's being wise. Also, being wise in in knowing your stuff. Learn about your faith. Understand what you believe. Well, we've got a great little library over here that has great Christian books in it and study books that you can learn more about your faith. Read up. Go online. Watch good videos and and encourage you to, to understand your faith. But do say something, because the reality is God has, has put you where we are to speak out as he gives opportunity. For our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. Paul now brings out the second key to loving our neighbors. It is to reveal God accurately. Paul now speaks of, of five truths about God. Truths we should know. And truths that will help us better love our neighbors. The first is, is God is limitless. Look at verse uh, um, 24 and 25. Paul is ex- explaining this unknown God that we know to be the God of heaven, Yahweh. And, and, and he's explaining this to these group of philosophical thinkers. The God who made the world, verse 24, and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, God is not in need or cannot be boxed in. Write down Colossians Chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 17, it's that great passage where it explains about Christ the Creator who, uh, who made all things and neither throne nor dominions, no powers, nor anything is under, uh, over him, but he is over them, and he is the one who holds everything together. It talks of the, the power of Jesus who breathes all creation into being. It's by his power that it's held together, not by any power 
of humanity. We're to trust in Jesus and his limitless power and be confident in that reality. Our neighbors need to see our faith in the power of this limitless God. And so does our community. That we believe in a limitless God who is not in need, nor does he need us. In other words, he cannot be manipulated by our deals, nor does he owe us anything for our actions. Yet he has plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for shalom, the Hebrew word shalom there, which means peace, prosperity, good things, and not for calamity, hard things, to give you a, a future and a hope. And, and it's our part to worship. Yes, to have times of worship like this, but also to live a life of worship where Christ is in the center place of our life and we're living out what he desires. That's worship as well. Because God is amazing. Just like when you see the, the vastness of the Grand Canyon or, or look up at the incredible night lit skies, not here in the city, but when you're up in the mountains and you're in awe. God is like that, to notice him and to soak him in and to revel in his grandeur. And that requires taking the attention off of self and onto him, that he is a limitless God. Understanding that helps us be a good example to our neighbors. Not only this, God is creator. Look, look at Acts uh, 26 and then we'll jump to 28. It says, again, explaining who this unknown God is. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God strategically planned where we will be at what time we will be there. And there's a reason for that. We'll look at that in a moment. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your poets, Paul says to these uh, philosophers, have said, for we indeed are his offspring. See, God is not just for one segment of people. He is for all, for he made everyone. He is sovereign, Lord, master, owner of all. And as Romans 9, 19 to 21 says, it goes back to the teaching of, of Isaiah 29, 6, that, that we are the clay in the potter's hands. Any of you like Plato? Isn't Plato fun? Anybody like Plato? Here you go. Here you go. Oh, careful. Almost got it. But, you know, one thing about Plato is that uh, you don't open up the, the, the uh, little pack of Plato and it goes, oh, thank you. Now I'm going to make myself into what I want to be. And you try to mold it and shape it and it goes, no, no, not that way. No, I want to go this way. No, I look, I want to be made into a horse. You don't hear that from the clay. You don't hear that from the Play-Doh. The Play-Doh is completely in subjection to the hands of you who are molding it and shaping it. The clay is in subjection to the potter's hand. In the same way, we need to be subjected to God because he is the one who shaped us. If you want a reference for that, write down Psalm 139. It says, we are all intimately created by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And he sovereignly chose where we live 
and where this church is located. And we are to get to know, we are to get that God knows us and that he knows our neighbors and their needs and that he has you where you are. So yes, you can learn and grow and and develop as he has designed you to be developed, but also for you to reach out to your neighbors and to be there when your neighbors reach out to you. People around you that live around you, work around you, go to school around you, people in your kids or grandkids' school or in your community, we are to embrace our place. For our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. Paul goes on. Acts chapter 17, verse 27, the last part of that, God is all-knowing. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. See, God knows our need for him, and he built into every human the desire to search out for God. You see that in all civilizations, all humanity, all humankind are always seeking something to worship. And we do. We seek out for God. We all have a God-shaped puzzle piece that only he fits inside of us. Sometimes we try to put all kinds of other things. There's different areas of the word, put different religions in there, even here in the U.S., but sometimes we put ourselves. That's our God of choice in this part of the world. And when people grope out for God, God strategically has placed someone there to be a bright light to go to. And that bright light is you. I am, I am so thankful that my friend Jeff, that I talked about last week and the week before, um, realized that he, God had placed him in that apartment right next to ours, apartment complex, so that when I went reaching out to God, Jeff was able to share with me. And you're the same way. There's someone who God is wanting to hear about. God is wanting them to hear about him, and he's placed you there to tell them. You know, you know, if, if you're known to be good at computers, people are going to go to you when they have questions. Are you known to be hospitable to someone who wants to know Jesus? Hopefully it's not that you're obnoxious, but, but that you have genuine love and, and, and that genuine love for them. And we as a church, are, are we ready to receive guests when they come in and, and those who are seeking and that's why we do the greeting time. It's not just, yeah, we want you to connect, but you know, sometimes it's hard for people to say hi. And so we hope that there will be at least some kind of a connection there. I know if you're an introvert, that's, you know, it's like death. Those two minutes, just get it over with. I'm not one, but I respect that. I live with one. So, um, but don't be so busy where you don't have time to be open or to get to know people. Because our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. The fourth thing Paul says is that God is near. Look at the last part of verse 27. Yet he actually is not far from each of us. See, God is, is clear. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, not be in fear or in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
When we feel distant, it's not because God went away. Really, what's happened, we've bought into the unfortunate lie that God doesn't care. Oh, God cares. He, he loves you so deeply and, and, and so wonderfully. He just wants you to feel his love. I was just, just now, just a minute ago, this just came to me. I was at a, the uh, child dedication for my grandson, Gunnar, and, and uh, my daughter was also there with her two kids, well, three, uh, and, uh, and little Moses wanted to sit by me. And he just, he just you know, he was just sitting there, and, uh, and we were standing singing a song, and he'd just, like, lean on me, kind of wrap his arm around my leg. He just wanted to be next to me. And I, when I sat down, he sat down. When I crossed my legs, he crossed my leg. He crossed his legs. Um, and he was just there, and he just, he just wanted to, to nestle in you want to know why? Because he knows without a shadow of a doubt that his papa loves him. And I try to remind him of that all the time. Papa loves you. And God does the same thing to you. And today, right this moment, God is saying to you, I love you. I really do. Let that reality soak in. But the truth is that God just cares. He's not distant and far off. He's right next to you. Just lean into him. Grab around his leg. And then just do what he does. When he sits, you sit. When he crosses his leg, you cross. Follow him. Because he's near. And God has placed us where we are. So that we would reach out to others. And so let's be interactive with those around us and engaged for our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. The last one is verse 29. God cannot be tamed. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought to think, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of a, Imagination of man. See, God is not something we created. So he cannot be manipulated or bargained with. Sure, we can wrestle with how we feel and how we deal with life. We may even get mad. God can handle that. It doesn't change his sovereign power. In the Bible book of Job, Job goes through a tremendous amount of issues and struggles. And he loses family, he loses his occupation, he loses his health. And his wife just says, why don't you just curse God and die? Job wrestles. and He wonders where God is because he doesn't feel him. Some of you have been there. But again, he's right there. Job comes to the conclusion, but he, God, is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires and what he does. See, see God does what he's going to do and I don't know why he some allows some people to suffer and why he doesn't, but I know he has reasons and I know he loves us. And so we're to believe in God and, and, and take on our mission to love our neighbors for our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. You see, each of us, regardless of how you feel, are in the right place at the right time. 
Because our sovereign God put you there. And he puts you there to love your neighbors, to engage, to reach out, to help, to know. It is God's desire for each of his followers. He strategically placed us where we are. Our family, our home, our work, our school, our neighborhood, our community, our state, our country. In these locations, we're supposed to be strategic. Paul shows us that example in what we've just talked about, Acts 17, verses 22 to 29, giving us those two keys to love our neighbors and to be this beautiful church in the neighborhood, to speak wisely and to reveal God accurately. See, our location is part of God's strategy for us and our neighbors. So let's, let's recognize this and step into our to loving our neighbors and, and, and truly being this neighborhood church that God has called us to be. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, I really thank you for Paul's example. Um, Lord, how incredible he is. Uh, just using the study and the words that you've given him to talk to these incredible philosophers. And, and they listened. They listened because Paul used his words wisely. And he revealed you accurately. Lord, help us do the same. You've called us each to a location, a place where we live, an address, a work location, a school location, all the different groups. And even at specific times and specific places, you've placed us to be right where we're supposed to be. To be this incredible reflection of you to be this incredible mouthpiece of wisdom that reveals you Lord, help us in that help us not to be so caught up in our life and our issues that we forget our calling challenge us constantly in that lord i pray this in your son's name amen